Standard Issue for all women. Oh, hey there. Welcome to episode 33 of the Standard Issue podzine and our 100th podcast. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm Mickey Noonan, and sometimes after my cat's done a proper toilet in his tray, I have to look in my wardrobe to check there isn't a human man secretly living in my house and shitting in the cat litter. Seriously, they are impressively horrific. I'm Hannah Dunleavy. I just tip my cup of tea all over the desk. She is a class act. And there is no Jen offered for the Bush Telegraph today because she has literally just landed on her way back from New York. Later on, I chat to amputee poet and performer Jackie Hagan about disability, class culture and her latest piece, This Is Not A Safe Space. Comedian and food fan Jess Fosterkew talks eating. Author Maya Leonard leaves Hannah and Jen skin crawling and me with a delighted smile on my chops thanks to a lot of beetle and bug chat, which includes Jen calling a cockchafer a billy witch. <laughs> there will be a bit of sport from Jen coming up yeah, through also- the magic of time. And also, I do Disney's Home on the Range. But first, protests, partridge and confusing potpourri. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, crashing into your life like a piece of Chinese hardware from space. Ouch. It's been a tumultuous week for women over the Irish Sea, with the announcement of a date for the referendum on the Eighth Amendment, May the 25th, Get booking your flights, Irish people outside of the UK. We're going ourselves in a few weeks to cover the campaign as it progresses. More news as that happens. But just in case you thought things were looking up for our Irish comrades, the jury in the rape trial of Ireland and Ulster rugby players, Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding, came back with a not guilty verdict. And what can I say about that? Well, literally just that. The law tells me that I have to tell you what happened between these men some friends of theirs, also on trial, and a 19-year-old woman after a night out was not rape. What I can, and feckin' will, have an opinion on is every other thing. Firstly, the way rape trials are conducted are a fucking disgrace. Mm -hmm. Report almost any other crime in the world and you'll be treated like a victim. Report a rape and you are treated like the accused. If you're to witness a rape, you'd be treated with more sympathy and respect in court than the woman that it actually happened to. Eight days in this case, the woman spent in the witness box. Secondly, the way many, many men talk about women is disgusting. The way this woman was talked about, both by your average Joe on Twitter and by the men she had legally assigned consensual sex with after the incident, is horrific. It's a porn-inspired degradation of woman that has no place in a civilised society, let alone people who represent their nation. If a woman leaves your company bleeding, in tears and frightened while you call each other top shaggers and her a slut, you're a shit stain on humanity, regardless of the verdict in a court. And to all the MRAs on social media and out in the real world, glorying in the result and metaphorically patting Jackson on the back, it's worth pointing out that an acquittal is not the same as pure as a driven snow. And it is certainly not a guilty verdict for the woman involved. Also this... Go fuck yourselves into oblivion. And when you're done, fuck yourself some more. And no, that's not a particularly smart response, but man, is it heartfelt. The Jackson trial was, in all honesty, a foregone conclusion. How does one woman prove she didn't consent when four friends say she did? Well, she can't. It may be small consolation, but solidarity with the young woman involved was strong, with thousands of women and men taken to the streets of Ireland City to demonstrate against the verdict. The power of protest isn't to be sniffed at, as proven earlier in the week. 
And so, a massive tip of the hat to the brave victims of John Warboys, the black cab rapist whose potential release was quashed thanks to their campaigning. Warboys victims paid for the landmark case with online crowdfunding. It feels like such a sliver of silver lining, though. One step forward, two steps back. Talking of the power of public protests, anti-gun protests continue in America, both online and in the actual world, and continue to produce results, albeit tiny ones. But nonetheless, well done those kids. Fox News presenter Laura Ingraham, or Ingraham, quite frankly, I don't give a fuck. Chances are, probably don't actually have to learn it now anyway. She's allegedly gone on holiday after firms bowed to pressure to pull their adverts from her show in response to her not-at-all rational mocking of Parkland Massacre survivor and one of the public faces of this latest protest, David Hogg. Companies including TripAdvisor, Hulu and Nestle pulled adverts after tweeted about Hogg being rejected by some colleges. Yeah, hilarious. Fox claims the vacation was always planned, but I believe it said the same about Hansi McRacist Bill O'Reilly after he became the subject of a similar ad boycott. And where's he now? Probably touching up some white woman. Ingra tweeted an Easter-themed picture to suggest she was having a wee break, which will presumably give her a lot of time to think about what sort of person is too morally bankrupt for Nestle. <laughs> Nestle. We've long referred to him as the People's Princess, but it seems Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn is fast becoming less Diana, more Michael of Kent. Accusations of anti-Semitism dog the Labour Party, and Corbyn's tackling of it is, quite frankly, weak as nut piss. Tolerance of anti-Semitism, or, you know, anti-Jew racism, or any other kind of racism should be zero, and Corbyn said he agrees. I mean, of course he has. He said Labour must, quote, do better when it comes to tackling anti-Semitism. But he appears to be doing very little. Corbynites are calling it a smear campaign. The Labour Party feels it's most divided and the right-wing parties and press are having a field day. Come on, Jezza, up your game. And politics went full partridge this week when David Davis gave a Dante Fires presentation. Sorry, <laughs> I mean he appeared on Andrew Marr with a sick bucket, which is how most of us watch it. More glitter! <laughs> Do you want some good news? Yeah. According to the Pope, that's right, big jolly smash out himself, there's no such thing as hell. Bad news for Satanists, great news for those of us who don't always rinse their recycling. Italian newspaper La Repubblica published a front page story claiming Pope Francis said bad souls are not punished and hell doesn't exist. Alas, neither does evidence of journalist Eugenio Scalfari's interview and the Vatican was quick to confirm that infernal damnation does indeed await for those on Catholic God's naughty list. It's quite a statement to make that the for the Pope, if that happened, considering yeah. that the entire history from about Martin Luther onwards of unpleasantness and sectarian violence seems to hang on the fact that, that one side believes that you're going to hell and one side doesn't. Doesn't, yeah. Apparently Pope Francis likes chatting with this journalist, who is 93, to be fair, just because he likes talking to someone with... Jesus, is that how old you have to work to now? before you can retire in journalism. Yeah, seriously, there is no pension plan for journalists. Speaking of going to hell, really interesting piece in Pink News this week. I don't know if you saw it. publication there? Yeah, I have to say I'm not a big fan of Pink News. I'm not, I'm a big fan of gay people. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I just think that Pink News manages to spell at least three words wrong in the intro. I think that (laughs) it's not so much their subject matter I've usually got a problem with as their journalistic skills. Or let's lose integrity. They once spelt London wrong. I mean... What can you say? Anyway, this week they had a story with the headline, 
Why can't gay or lesbian twins have sex with or marry each other? Why is incest between same-sex siblings wrong? I'm guessing their argument is, and I'm playing devil's advocate, even though there is no devil because there is no hell. Thanks, well, they mean, But they mean because you can't procreate, right? Well, to be fair, it's not their argument. They do present two sides of the argument in this piece, which I inexplicably read, <laughs> possibly because I was open-mouthed, which decided that, you know, maybe it's a bad thing or maybe what you just said maybe you know if you can't make a baby with three heads then who are you harming obviously it's just a bit of fun isn't it is yeah. incest is it really bad it's the easter holidays i've worked at a newspaper you still have to fill a newspaper you're really fucking busy fucking hell what are they gonna write in august oh i was gonna say but <laughs> i i've i've been in and i've pitched some stupid fucking stuff you know where do the flies go in the winter or whatever to try and fill papers i've never gone in and said here's an idea is it ever wrong to fuck my dad yeah, I'll have 600 words on that. Get it on the internet. It, honestly, it's really clickbaity and the number of times it talks about Game of Thrones is perhaps an indication of how clickbaity it is. Pink News, you are well wrong on this. Do you want some actual good news? Yes. For women, no less. Minister for Sport and Civil Safety, Tracy Crouch, this week announced a new round of the tampon tax fund to be rolled out across the UK over the next two years. Projects that tackle sexual violence, address social exclusion among BAME women and improve mental health and well-being will receive funding from the £15 million pot, with the money also being used to help smaller organisations support the most vulnerable and disadvantaged women and girls in the country. More news next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we watch women wailing on each other and give a big cheer while the Daily Mail has other thoughts. Yeah, I don't know if anyone caught Sport Relief 2018. I actually did see a bit of it. I was in a hotel in Bournemouth with my mother. Lovely. I was packing to go on holiday, so I didn't watch it, and also listening to Simply Red with my mate. This is coming up too much now, Simply Red, isn't it? Anyway... Well, you know... You've got... She's wearing a Simply Red T-shirt and a Mick Hucknall mask. I actually bought... Said friend a uh, Simply Red T-shirt once with Mick Hucknall's face on it from the Simply Red concert that I went to, and he's never worn it. What a prick! Anyway, <laughs> Helen Skelton, her of sort of like physically challengey stuff and Blue Peter fame, had a boxing match with Camilla Thurlow of Love Island fame, if you want to call it that. And basically, the Daily Mail reported with some glee, I would say, that viewers were left feeling uncomfortable as Helen Skelton and Camilla Thurlow violently attack each other in no-holds-barred boxing match. Well, not even a pillow between them. No, they they were left sorely bruised, apparently. As opposed to gently bruised. Yeah. Which, Pleasantly bruised. You know, but apparently... Onlookers described the segment as tasteless and uncomfortable. Well, they're men having having a punch up at the same yeah, time. Yeah, there were a bunch of people having well, a punch up. Did they make people feel uncomfortable? No, just just uh, this just, just this one apparently. Um, the men had a massage off. That's how they made people yeah. feel uncomfortable. It there. said it said the spectacle left viewers at home somewhat disturbed as they watched the two TV personalities attack each other brutally. Or have a boxing match, as it is more traditionally called. Were these yeah. people the same people who probably celebrated Nicola Adams winning gold at the Olympic well, Games? I think they're possibly the same people that, that celebrated Anthony Joshua. Well, yeah, quite. I mean, I can... Do you know what? I can understand. Uh, as as you all know, I'm I'm a fan of the boxing. Yeah, me too. You and do a bit of the boxing. I do do a bit of the old boxing, and I am a fan of it. 
But I can understand why some people take the view, as I used to myself, that it's not a sport. It's like, you know, just two dudes, or in this case, women, just, you know, knocking the shit out of each other. I understand that view, but I do feel like you have to, you, you've got to apply it both ways, surely, like if it's not yeah, a sport. Yeah, agreed. I think there are some very good arguments for not boxing. And I say that as a lifelong boxing fan. Yeah. There are good arguments for not boxing, but yeah. those arguments... I love the arguments... idea of that as a sport, by the way. Today... The not boxing championships. Yeah. Just people start having a chat. There's no difference between that sport existing for men and for women. It's the same as my attitude to drugs. You make them all legal or you make them all illegal. There is no halfway ground and it's exactly the same with boxing. Hello. We are joined in the studio by Maya Leonard, also known or probably better known as MG Leonard, award-winning author... True, I have won awards. You write books for middle school age kids, is that right? Yeah, middle grade they call it, but that's the American school system. So basically, Harry Potter age kids. If you can read Harry Potter, you can read my books. And if you're an adult who reads Harry Potter books, you should read Maya's books as well, because they are very, very good and very funny. I hope so. Yeah, (laughs) I think that was the plan, right? (laughs) Totally. They are a Beatle trilogy. They are indeed. It's basically one long story. In publishing, quite often what happens is if you have a success, they then just ask you to write another one. But I had already set out three books. It was always only going to be three books, and it's very much a three-act structure. So Beetle Boy, at the beginning of that book, my protagonist, Darkus, his father mysteriously disappears from inside a locked room at the Natural History Museum. And with the help of an intelligent beetle, uh, and in fact hundreds of thousands of beetles, he sets out to solve that mystery. Now, when he does set out to solve that mystery, he encounters a villain. Lucretia Cutter. a villainess. Now, Lucretia Cutter is bad news. You know that in book one, but you don't really know what on earth she's doing or why. Uh, And in the second book, Beetle Queen, Darkus and his friends and the readers uncover her evil plans and they set out to stop her. And then in the third book, Battle of the Beetles, well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. I mean, my hero, Beetle Boy, and my villain, Beetle Queen, fight it out in an epic battle with thousands of species of beetles. Beetle Boy came out in 2016, Beetle Queen last year, and Battle of the Beetles came out in February. Correct, yes. Are you really tired? Y- yes, I'm also a mum with two kids, and for some of that I had a job, which I don't have anymore. But yeah, and also I have a non-fiction book about Beatles being published in September, so You've I've actually written four books in 18 months. Jumped the gun on me there, but that's Sorry. fine. No, no, that's good. So I was about to say, you're not done with Beatles, though, are you? How did you get into the whole Beatle thing? Because... You used to be a bit scared of the old books, didn't you? Properly phobic. I mean, not just a bit scared, like properly embarrassing, screaming, like jumping up on chairs. And, you know, I have once at the sight of an incredibly large spider evacuated the house in a negligee and stood in the street flapping my arms around refusing to come inside until I was shown its dead body. I wasn't sure where you were going to go with after (laughs) evacuated to be honest I thought maybe bowels were going to come into play. No I literally ran away I mean that's how but it wasn't just spiders they were the worst they were my nemesis but oh goodness daddy long legs moths but I was even scared of butterflies. Are you scared of butterflies? I'm not scared of butterflies but I had an encounter with a particular type of beetle that was so utterly terrifying that I actually put my hand on a barbecue in order to get away from it. <laughs> what kind of beetle did It that was called you? a Christmas beetle. Oh, in Australia? In Australia. And it yeah. arrived on Christmas Day. It arrived like a tomahawk helicopter. 
sort of just came down like that. And I thought, oh, my God, it's going to land on me. It's going to land on me. It didn't. And it landed on my friend who was really heavily pregnant. And my first thought, oh, just thank fuck that's not me. <laughs> and she said, she was just standing there saying, somebody help me. It was, honestly, it was the most disgusting thing. Yeah, how big are they? I'd say probably. Hannah is uh, that, making her... About the size of an egg? Yeah, I was going to say about yeah, egg size. about the size of an yeah. egg. And it, and it flew. Chicken and it was egg. disgusting. And we just panicked. And I was trapped at the side of the table that I couldn't get out. And I decided to go over the barbecue to get away from this thing. Because it was so gross. So here's the thing, right? I genuinely believe, because I was completely phobic about these things, that there's a relationship between ignorance, not knowing what it is, and fear. Because I know what you're talking about is a chafer, which we have in England and we call them Maybugs or Junebugs. They are fuckers, I hate them. <laughs> they chase you. But they, This thing was the size of a stag beetle it had horns yeah. on it. We used to call them like fucking billy witches or something weird like that. Gentle Essex. I can assure you Rural they're not Essex. chasing you, they're just really bad flyers. They're really stupid. But also, the chafers in the UK, they eat lawn roots, grass roots. They don't bite, they can't sting you, they can't hurt you in any way. I thought you were going to say like the flesh of children they're no. horrible no there are some beetles that do eat flesh carrion mm. beetles they're called but they usually eat mice and and not children or dead birds but yeah the christmas beetle is a type it's an australian chafer basically and it's one of the early signs of christmas so like we have oh it's snowing it's christmas they have oh it's giant they have beetles. these repulsive giant beetles again who arrive <laughs> and they land beautiful. on your pregnant friends i was gonna say you Somebody use the word repulsive else. but i think beetles are the most beautiful of the mini beasts because they're particularly like a scarab beetle with an iridescent shiny. I basically, that's how I try to do my eye makeup a lot of the time. <laughs> it looks very nice. Well, I, I also would say that probably some of your eye makeup is probably made from some bugs. Oh, that's not I try really that. hard not to buy anything that has had anything to do with animals. Shellac that makes nail polish is usually made from bugs. And of course, there's a cochineal dye, which yep. is not a beetle, but it's a bug. And yeah, that's I, what is in yeah. red lipstick. I used to work for the Lads Mags, and one task that they sent me, I used to get given either interview the models so they'll tell you all the sex stuff or set me ridiculous tasks. And I had to phone around a lot of different companies, including Ocean Spray, Cranberry Juice, and Bassets, who make jelly babies, and ask them what dye they use, what red dye they use specifically, because carmine is made from. Cochineal, right? Yep. And then when they said it, in order to get a good interview, according to the lads' mags, I had to go, oh my God, that's disgusting. Use crushed beetles and then gauge their reactions. And um, yeah, they weren't as amused as the readers were, which, <laughs> but yeah, it still goes on there. There is still a lot of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of um, insect products used in the fashion industry. And that's why my villain, Lucretia Cutter, is a fashion designer, you know, because there's a massive connection between the beauty industry and, and the invertebrates or insects. So, yeah, I thought that was a really nice kind of link, really. But, you know, the idea is if you read my books, the adventure is so compelling, you don't realise that you're learning stuff about beetles and by the end of them, you actually quite like them. And in fact, one of the things I really wanted to do, because I didn't know when I wrote this it was for kids. I wrote it for me and it turns out <laughs> mentally I'm about 12. So, Fair enough. Uh, and so, you know, the humour in it is my humour, but only 12-year-olds seem to think it's hilarious and me. So, and um, I did. I mean, I, I clearly say it that it's a very fun. Who very doesn't funny like book. a battle with thousands of beetles, a lot of poo, and some bad guys, right? Because beetles love poo, and kids 
love poo, and I think scatology's hilarious. Yeah, you, we've lost Hannah. We've lost <laughs> Hannah on this one. You don't think poo's funny? I'm not big into poo, but also I'm not into thousands of beetles, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> You've picked my a... two worst things. I'm not big into <laughs> poo. Yeah. Of this. Hannah Dunleavy, I am not big into poo. I'm is that not, your fact? But also, any, I think anything is all right on its own. It's when you start to get what I would describe as, you know, a swarm that it starts to feel... I had a situation with a moth once. It was like the size, this is obviously a little bit off topic, but it was about the size of a small Eastern European country, right? And, uh, <laughs> and I was just like, fuck this shit. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not up for this. They're just night butterflies, Jen. And I, you say that, it was huge. And they get excited by light, which tends to be... Anyway, I like whacked it and it went off somewhere and I was like, all oh, right, okay, I've dealt with that. That doesn't seem to be flying anymore. Later on, getting ready for bed... Put my pajama bottoms on. Suddenly, I'm like, "What is that weird vibe?" It was in my pajama bottoms, and I put them on, and the moth was like going boot, and I had to like literally take them off and throw my pajama bottoms away because I was too terrified to deal with the. I situation. thought you were going to say onto a barbecue, and then the two stories <laughs> would have been neatly tied. Imagine if spiders could fly, though. Why would you Some say can. that? What? Sure. Why would you say that? Do you like oh, my voice like, then? Some cat. Yeah. No, so the, what they do... Sometimes they come back. Like, so a lot of people don't realise this. I'm but, itching. <laughs> sorry. But like up 15,000 feet above your head, there are lots of flying insects, yeah. right? And spiders, well, certain breeds of spiders, will throw out spinners and almost a bit like gliders will literally use air currents to move. So oh, they that's kind of cool. Hello, yeah. actually. Yeah. Honestly, I was the just, more you know about insects, the cooler they get, I, I promise. I was just about to go like, oh, like Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, like Spider-Man, Mick, that's where he gets the name. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I used to be completely phobic, so I do get where you're all coming from. And there is a scene early in my first book, Beetle Boy, where a large beetle falls out of the trouser leg of one of my buffoonish villains. And it's very funny because insects are hilarious, people's reactions to them. But I'm going to put put it on the table, seeing as there are four women in the room. Fear of insects is a gendered topic. Really? Oh, yeah. Because Tell us more. Here's the thing. Women are taught socially that to be scared of insects is A, acceptable and, and rational and normal, but actually quite feminine. And who is meant to rescue you from the horrible beasties? Men who aren't supposed to be scared of insects. Actually, I have, to say, I have to say my mum, because my dad was the person in our house who was scared of spiders. Just oh, also, weirdly. Hannah, did you realise you were being unwittingly sexy when you whipped off your pants in the middle of the restaurant? <laughs> I'm better now. I have to say, uh, being in Australia... Made me realise when I came back here. Oh, here our insects nothing. aren't things. They yeah. they can't bite. Well, they can bite you, but they don't give you diseases or kill you. Yeah. Or and they don't come in the sheer volume that I saw them there. Of like that's not that's an infestation. I can see in that corner type thing. Whereas at home, you're like, oh, it's two moths, big whoop. I've got to say, going back to the gender topic, I'm not scared of spiders, and I've never been scared of spiders. And I spent a little bit of time in the Bolivian jungle, and even the bigger ones, I was like, well, I don't really want to get tangled up with it, but. I wasn't freaking out. I've seen more men freak out and I've rescued more men from spiders yeah. than I have women friends. It's really interesting because I go uh, up and down the country and do a lot of school visits. So you're going to go rescuing men from spiders? Yes, yeah, of course. In groups of young people, if you ask who does and doesn't like bugs, it's usually 50% of the room doesn't like bugs and 50% of the room does. Usually the 50% that do are majority, majority boys. 
And also girls all do the screaming, like, because I often bring Beatles with me to events, live Beatles, and girls are the ones that will do the screaming. Can I just ask, do you have any hair now? No, I didn't bring <laughs> okay. any today. Uh, I, I, I didn't have that on my okay. <laughs> agenda. So I, just, okay. I just went to be clear because my lunch is in my bag and I don't want to open it up later and find something in there. I have an observation that may or may not be accurate, but I think that spiders are basically universally scary. I know quite a few dudes that don't really like spiders, and I had to... I didn't like spiders very much. I still don't like them that much, but I learned to tolerate them because I had to save my old flatmate, who was a man, <laughs> from them. He'd just be like, yeah. oh, someone in the bath, come and help me! Uh, and and so I, I learned to be okay with it. But I think you're right. I think if you think about, like, bugs and beetles and things like that, I probably don't know that many dudes who would be bothered by them, but spiders seems to be like the one thing that's acceptable. But the thing, so about two years ago, in 2016, when Beetle Boy first came out, there was a huge viral internet thing called Bugs Are For Girls, hashtag Bugs Are For Girls, because there was this girl called uh, Sophia in Canada who was aged eight, who loved insects, and got mercilessly bullied at school as being a weird kid because she was a girl who liked insects. And then her mother got in touch with the Canadian Entomology Society saying, have you got any female entomologists who can tell my daughter it's not weird for her to like bugs? And even her teacher, who was female, said it wasn't very feminine to collect and like bugs. And the thing that's interesting to me is that, like, I never questioned why I was scared when I was scared because I was scared of everything. But one of the things that I do know is that at no point... Did I think, like, I need to take control of this and deal with it myself? I would absolutely expect if there was men around and I saw a spider that was scaring me, I'd be like, who's going to get rid of that? Because it ain't going to be me. And it's really interesting because I'd never thought about it before until I read about Sophia's story and got in touch with her mum, actually, that actually you might be thought of as strange and socially outcast if you're a girl who's interested in insects. But... It happens. Like It's really interesting. There's a thing about when you're a teenager and peer pressure and mm. being odd and slightly different is problematic. But our fear of insects is, is, I think it's a massive problem because in the ecosystem, we need insects. Mm. And there's been a 70% decline in the insects in just... Really? In Europe, yeah, in the last 50 years. 70%? 70%, like across which is Across the board. Across the board, Obviously, yeah. bees are a bit of a, yeah, bit of a problem. Yeah, across the board because of pesticides and all those kinds of things. But also, like... Our culture in the West, we do vilify and say Mm. that we should kill insects. We don't appreciate them or try and understand them. And people who do are often seen as slightly odd or eccentric. And the thing is, is that even in our cultural products, like if you see a movie and some insects scurry across the screen, you know something bad's going to happen, right? It's not going to be like a good moment. You know that it's a foreboding thing or an evil thing or Halloween or whatever. Oh, look, they found your car keys. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, a wedding. I love a wedding. They're never the good guys, exactly. So, like, the thing is, is that we create cultural narratives over and over again that vilify insects and say that they're bad and they're disgusting and they're dirty and all of these things. But actually, the opposite is true. And if you think about Teletubbies or you think about In the Night Garden or any of those programmes where we show children what a nice safe environment looks like they're green there's no insects they're sanitized they're clean there's no like what's soil made of it's rotting matter and poo basically like but we're teaching children a whole incorrect relationship with insects because actually we need them it's much more scary if you see a piece of land 
and there are no insects, that is much more terrifying to us, or at least it should be, than a piece of land covered in a rich array of different invertebrates. So really, we should be bigging up the bugs, which is what I'm trying to do with these books, what I'm trying to do with these stories, is reverse that and have... like The Beatles are the good guys, right? They have character and there's a lot of education in there with a soft, soft E. But one of the things I want is parents to read the books with their kids because when parents go out for a walk in the country with their kids or just in the park and they see a bug, instead of being like, ugh, they'll be able to say, oh, look at its thorax and it's elytra and this is a this type of insect or that type of insect. And the education will make the fear lessen yeah. uh, and the knowledge grow and hopefully the relationship grow. I mean, it's a basic thing. And they should because actually more and more we're being told that women actually live by themselves more. So, yeah, you've got to sort this problem yeah. out. You can't... No men coming around to get rid of your yeah. spiders, loves. Maya, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Be nice to your beetle friends now, please. <laughs> Hi, we're in the studio today with comedian Jess Fossicue, who's come to talk to us about her new podcast, Hoovering. Yeah. Now, the word Hoovering might ring a bell for people because when we, back when we were an online magazine... Uh, She's stolen her own idea that yeah. she did for us. Jess actually wrote a column for us called Hoovering, yeah. which was about your... Well, basically your desire to just eat anything. Yeah, that's basically exactly it. And so I have you guys to thank for the for the nut of the idea but the, when I was writing articles for you guys it was kind of a review of various places I was eating but always from a place of reverence I'm not a big fan of reviewing of anything generally I don't think it's helpful to the people making the stuff when having it reviewed I say as a comedian who's had reviews that made her cry for a year. Um, but I, um, <laughs> but, so I didn't ever, you know, the only, I think the only place I ever really slagged off was the slug and letters. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. The noodles were great. Um, still remember it. Still traumatised. Um, She's still I, swallowing. Uh, oh, well, um, <laughs> Great noises for radio. <laughs> Great noises for podcasts. But I, so this time I thought if I want to make a podcast out of this, I don't necessarily want to um, just talk about experiences of eating out and about and that kind of thing. So with the articles I would talk about, sometimes it would be stuff I'd eaten off the floor and I think that's where it was <laughs> unique. Like I went to a festival once and there was, um, as everyone was packing up, people had left in a rush and just people had left whole tents and stuff like that. But there was just tons and tons of discarded food. And I wasn't alone in my in being appalled. The friends that I were with, who were also scuzz comedians, we just we just foraged up loads of amazing food. So now for the podcast, it's also called Hoovering, and this instead is, co- is conversations. Each podcast is a conversation with someone interesting about food, and it's amazing talking to people about eating. Not one conversation has been the same. You know, I'll sit down with someone and think, right, they're from somewhere interesting, so I'll try and find out about their childhood and who was cooking in their house when they grew up. And then that entire hour will have been, you know, the bit you remember of it will be the bit we both talked about all the times we've made ourselves sick. And really, like, you know, harrowing stories of, you know, flirtations with bulimia, basically. And then you go and have a conversation with someone who you think, oh, they'll probably have a bit of insight into veganism. And instead, they're just talking. I just spoke to Carl Donnelly, and he's, it blooming loves chicken livers. He remembers pre-veganism when he's obsessed with eating chicken livers and just talked in such articulate detail about the, why he enjoyed that flavour and what it was, like, really remembered everything about it. It was amazing. So I'm not having the conversations I expect. 
all my preparations going to waste before uh, every conversation I have. But it, yeah, it's been really been a learning curve. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, we've we've had we've had some people on in the past mm. talking about eating disorders and and things. But there's all sorts of sort of so, there's social aspects to food. There's yeah. a sort of the the. I I can remember dinner time being quite stressful in our house because mm-hmm. my dad was really obsessed by table manners, and it used to yeah be quite stressful. Mm-hmm. I am also a person that pukes at the at if I don't know if it's twenty five minutes out of date. I'm like oh no it's coming back. Really? Yes. Quick to puke. I am I am a very quick to puker. So I I have issues with food not right. deliberately puking yeah, yeah. clearly but like. Yeah, that that egg salad sandwich turned two minutes ago, and that's it. That's it me for the rest you. of the day. Yeah, I'm impressed you've just said the word puke four times, and you're still not gipping. Yeah, which usually that's all it takes. Yeah, <laughs> such a great. Word. Yeah, but I do sometimes wonder if that came from like stress of like my dad constantly going, "Get your elbows off the table." God, the wrong yeah. cutleries. Oh, I always think like. They lie about when things are out of date. I, I like. I am prepared to push those boundaries. Oh, me too. I'm the opposite. I've see, I wish. See, I wish I could be like, like that. Anything. Because I'm. I. I'm like. Yeah. I know that that's a if, lie. Um, but yeah. My rule now is if the packaging has expanded oh, with the yes. gas that something creates, because yeah. you know it's actually bad. gone toxic. That's when I won't even open it. Yeah. Why can't you just, just see, you know, see when hummus is fizzy? That's what annoys yeah. me. That's a real yeah. bugbear. Yeah. It's like it smells really. fine. It, you know it's out of date. It could be brilliant or it could fizz and you need to just it's, go and wash your mouth out with carbolic soda, soda. Yeah, it but, it's, ugh, it's horrible when it's Oof. gone off. Oof. 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 Probably the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Anna's making a face. She's doing the gip face. <laughs> yeah, she's... <laughs> Giffy Dunleavy. Robbing her eyes. Of, um, I think even amongst... Um, it, within feminism, there's a debate, there's disagreement over our relationships with eating as well I think mm-hmm. I mean there's obviously like you know eating disorders aren't good but um, I'm quite honest in the podcast straight off about earlier than I'd expect it to be um, that I'm in sort of I'm in talks with my therapist but not <laughs> ever about under eating quite the opposite <laughs> um, <laughs> just proper properly like obsessed like an addict would be with booze or smoking but with food I mean I I just have to have I've got a really complicated relationship with food but from the point of view is of when I have an extreme emotion, rather than going have a drink, have some heroin, my brain says <laughs> the the go to for most people. We're gonna get something, get a secret first dinner in on the way home. That's the voice in my head says that. But brilliantly, uh, my favourite things so far in this journey have been that once uh, my therapist says to me, "Say, tell me about a time where you did listen to the voice and you ate loads and loads and loads, and how did you feel afterwards?" And I think I was meant to say like uh, ashamed, full of new resolutions, and I was honest and just went, "I felt amazing." And she pissed her pants. <laughs> I think I was meant to feel disgusting. And I was like, no, I love feeling dis- I love feeling so full. It hurts. I love it. I felt proud of myself. And my other favourite thing is that I've been having to list all the emotions that make me want to eat when I'm not hungry. And it turns out it is every emotion. <laughs> Literally every emotion. Even what relief. A- even, even mild relief. What about ennui? Yeah. <laughs> Just makes me hungry. <laughs> That is one of the main, that is one of the hardest triggers, I think, ennui. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's the worst thing about it is it's French sounding, so it sounds delicious. Yeah, it makes you want a baguette. Yeah. <laughs> have some cheese with that. Yeah, add some cheese Put on it in ennui. the oven, dip some bread in it. Oh, oh dipping. Cheese. Oh, ennui. cheese dipping. One of, the, one of the genuinely, that I still consider one of the most tragic events of my life was the day I learned that cheese is bad for you. I, 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 it's not completely I bad was raised in, in the, the household that we had at the freezer. 
you know, that was quite typical in the 1970s. My mum worked it like we just yeah, ate out we of the freezer. We used to buy like frozen bags of stir fry. Yeah, yeah. Finder's crispy pancakes. Yeah. Anything with orange bread comes on it. That was that was mm. what we ate for our, di- for our dinner. And I was led or led to believe basically that you know. Anything that was fresh, you know, that hadn't come out of the freezer and wasn't cake was was, was good for you. Yeah. And somebody once once told me that cheese was bad. And I was like, you're, no, you're no. And I this is before the internet. I had to go and read it in a book. And it was what? really genuinely tragic to me, the idea that if I carried on eating cheese at the level I'd eaten cheese, I'd probably have a heart attack at the age of 30. I eat butter as if it's cheese. Big butter fan, but like the unpasteurised, salty. My toddler, if left unattended, would take a bite out of a pat of butter. I, me and your toddler would have a lovely time. And, Although and maybe my cats who ate half a pound of butter. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, how he, everywhere. It's how my son learnt to lick. Like, because he just stuffed stuff in his face. He's my son. <laughs> he, um, like, the first few ice creams he had, he just sort of tried to force the entire thing in. <laughs> and just pushing this, pushing this cone into this baby's face, you know, himself <laughs> pushing it into his own face. And you're like, God, I mean, I don't know. How do you teach someone to lick? Maybe you'll never learn to lick. And then he got a, <laughs> and then he got a cracker with butter on it. And I've never seen a creature savour every bit. He just basically licked the butter off to the point where it was just, I don't know, you did crackers are so thin you don't think that you can hollow one out but he did he hollowed the one side off a cracker through the through the the joy and slow revel revelment he'd taken in licking each morsel of butter off that one side of it well, cat used to do that yeah. with um my dad would come home from the pub on a friday night and he um, my mum would make him some some toast with marmite on it and had a little snooze when he one night she like left the toast beside him, and he'd woken up and he'd eaten it. It's like I thought you were going to put some marmite on that calf. She's like, I did. And the cat's there, like. Yeah. <laughs> the best things about cats is they continue to lick their lips for about twenty four hours, just in case there's anything still on there that they might have they might have missed. When my brother was little, he used to do this thing when he'd finished when he was in his high chair. He'd, when he'd finished, the way he announced that he had finished eating was he used to put the bowl upside down on his head. <laughs> Good lad. And that would be I do that like, in restaurants. He hadn't always, you know, <laughs> him being finished didn't mean that the bowl was necessarily <laughs> empty. It was just like, oh, God. He's got some sort of tomato sauce running down his face again. I think he's eating it all. He's just full up. Yeah, I've had enough. Just what's your go-to comfort food? So I've gone vegan-ish, which we were discussing before, so it's changed i suppose because this is i love everything <laughs> i can't find it really hard to pick our comfort food pre-veganishness if i had a hangover which i think is the time where you are most kind of just listening to the most basic inner animal in you i would always always want quite specifically two chicken kievs no oh, sides just i just chicken. want two kievs on their own and now oh that really varies Ben and Jerry's do some amazing vegan ice cream. They do one that's got Oreos and peanut butter in the same ice cream. I don't like ice cream. I I feel like you just whispered that you're a pervert. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Basically, I have to whisper it because people always look at me like I've said, I fuck children. (laughs) I don't like ice cream. I don't understand it. 
<laughs> you don't understand. No, I don't it. understand. You know, it's fifty percent fat and fifty percent sugar. Your taste does change. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I used to hate. Well, I used to hate whiskey when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I suddenly hit thirty, and I was like, "This is the best drink in the world." Because your taste would yeah. die. Exactly. Well. Yeah. So I have to retried. You know, ice cream because people like go on and on and on about how great ice cream is. But no, it, like ice creams are your olives. Yeah, it gives. Oh, olives are disgusting as well. What? It, they're really nice. They're delicious. Uh, it's like raw tomatoes. I fucking yeah. hate them, and I tried so hard to like them because everyone's like, "You should like raw tomatoes," but they're just they're just jizzy and gross. Just mean my, um, my yeah. partner hates raw tomatoes as well, and I you grew like some tomatoes. I, I think I'm allergic. That to I was like, "Well, they're so sweet. These are amazing. Like, would you try them? Because they're so sweet." And he tried one, and I was like, "It's even tomatoier. It's even worse." <laughs> and they smell. Weird as well. I love them. I love I, them with a tiny bit of salt on. Yeah, just sick. I can absolutely understand why people wouldn't like it. That's a quite. A, it's quite an intense sharpness. Oh, yeah. Bit. I always get really miffed by the idea that a lot of food I like is actually quite hard work. Like pomegranates, they oh, are great. Oh, fuck that. But you're yeah, honest to God, it looks like you've like slaughtered someone in your kitchen, and you've pouch, managed to get, get two bits. Yeah. When we they were do them kids, everywhere now. my gran would like. She'd buy. A pomegranate, and there were four grandkids hanging around her house, mithering for food. And she cut it into quarters. She'd give each of the small children a needle, and then we would like fish out the seeds mm. and eat them with the needle. With the needle. That's wrong. perfectly safe. How are you getting on with veganism? I really love it, but I'm very flexible about it. <laughs> so that's probably why I'm not very absolutist about it. I don't, um, I don't get stressed out about it. My mum can't. My mum is a really lovely cook and she's quite in control of her kitchen so when I'm there I don't get much say in what goes on to eat and her she loves vegetarian stuff uh, and so she'll you know she'll make a lovely effort to make me something really oh you know I've made you this lovely vegan dinner it's got this it's got that's got always got aubergines and got some lovely halloumi and you'll go thanks thank you (laughs) I'm not going to not eat that you know she's gone out of her way I will there's there's instances where I'll have eggs if I can I've seen the chicken or whatever in the right company pescatarian I essentially have these ideas where I don't I'm very aware I've got one short sweet life Uh, I don't want to miss out on other people's specialities other cultures special things I'm travelling around the world I'm not going to be vegan I'm going to just try everything I can possibly try festivities birthdays Christmas I think I'm going to have an open mind about things but I shocked myself by how quickly what I love about it is I love cooking anyway so it was just a, a sort of new set of amazing things to learn about stuff you can do with planty stuff and I found it way easier than I thought I would but I think because I haven't said to myself you'll never have trees again I think if I were had said that to myself I'd hate it yeah. and it would feel like a big horrible cruel trap and it's, it doesn't have to be like that I think just a nod to it if you if you go vegan for a week it reduces your carbon footprint by 75% that week wow, wow. so even if you did a week a month What's been your favourite discovery, vegan food-wise? There's an amazing company, Rhythm 108, that I've just discovered that do these sweet and salty almond chocolate bars that are off the chart. They're basically like 
it's like consistency of a milky bar. It's just as creamy, but with like slightly salty, crunchy bits in the middle. That sounds pretty good to charts. But um, it's stuff that I've cooked mainly that's been my favourite. Like I do a thing, I'm going to do it tonight actually, with a load of fresh ginger and mustard seeds. And then you bung a tin of tomatoes in and leave that alone for 10 or 15 minutes. And then you just chop up a couple of onions, but really widely so they're still dead chunky. And then you just fry them very, very slowly for like 15 minutes with some cumin seeds in. And then tip some chickpeas in the tomatoes at the last minute, pop the onions on top of it. Oh, and some cashews in there, sorry, as well. So you've got everything. You've got loads of protein. Oh, that's so nice. And it's the mustard seeds and the ginger. I mean, it's got real punch. You can add yeah. chilli as well if you want. Oh, that's like I took some spinach in there as well. You yeah. can. You can actually do that. And I'm going to do that tonight. I'm yes. actually doing that tonight. Yes. Yeah, I'm doing that tonight. Okay. I'm so glad you reminded me because 90% of the times I have that dinner, I think, oh, I forgot to chuck a bit of spinach in. <laughs> oh, and kale, which is a newfound way, is if you just rub a load of oil on it mm. and then bung it in the oven in yeah. a baking tray for eight minutes. Oh. Yeah, it's good. It tastes like that. Um, it, if you want to put salt with it, then it tastes like that um, fake seaweed that you got from the mm. Chinese takeaway. Yeah. Or just ma- massaging kale with olive oil. Yeah. You massage it for two to three minutes with the olive oil, yeah. then leave it, drizzle a bit of its um, lemon juice, um, cashew butter and soy sauce as a dressing. Yeah, that's really good. I wouldn't massage a person for two minutes. <laughs> well, it's it's more it's fun. Right, you it's don't, kale. It's yeah. kale. Yeah, it's better for you than a person. What is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Sheep's brain. Oh Ooh. no! It's Were you disgusting. in an Indiana Jones film? <laughs> I was in China. I was travelling with my friend Rach. We're both West Country girls, and we've been away for a couple of months. The first mistake we made was we were so desperate for cider that we went in a place called Rave of Disco Nightclub <laughs> um, because it said ciders. And we got inside and on the menu underneath ciders, it just said um, Smirnoff Ice. Heartbreaking. <laughs> but no, the food one. We were in, um, we were in an amazing a place called Xi'an. And uh, there's loads of street vendors selling food and stuff. And we saw this guy selling these cubes of fried potato. And we couldn't remember the last time we'd had potato. So we went and got it, and it wasn't it was in our mouth, so we realised oh, no. it was something else, and it was a sheep's brain. Same sort of night market in China. I ate a starfish. <gasps> Jess, where can we find you? I'm on Twitter, at Jessica Foster Q, and so is my podcast, at The Hoovering Pod. <laughs> I'm on tour. I'm on tour all <laughs> over the UK with my show, The Silence of the Nans, which is a comedy horror story about a disaster at sea. Which is brilliant. Yes, I've seen it as well. It's awesome. Excellent. Thanks very much for coming hey, in. That was really having me. It's, it's made me lovely. hungry. Yeah, I'm really yeah, me hungry too, actually. Hello, I am in Manchester with performer and poet Jackie Hagen. Hi, Jackie. Hiya. Thanks very much for joining us. Jackie has got a new show. It's just been a little bit on tour, and then is going to be in London. And it is called This Is Not A Safe Space. And it is billed as celebrating the weird, the wonky, the unruly and the resilient. Jackie, you had me at wonky. <laughs> well, that's handy, isn't it? <laughs> Tell us about um, it. So This Is Not A Safe Space is a show about um, disabled people and people on benefits, working class people. Basically, I was being, I was sick of the representation of people like me. So I went round and I interviewed 80 various people about um, just about everything, whatever they wanted to talk about. And then I've used um, their actual voices 
in the show. We talk about things like, you know, about like PIP, about claiming benefits, but also just about, you know, what would you do if, you know, things come up like if sheep ruled the world and things like that. So just wherever came out, really. Do you want to ask me a question? I do want to ask you a question. What made you want to write This Is Not A Safe Space? Oh, because I've been fuming all of my life, especially as like a northern female um like fairly kind of scruffy um working class artist who doesn't like I don't make loads of efforts like drag up as middle class right I don't I'm just like yeah this is this is me um and it's really hard to be taken seriously um because you get this um especially like being disabled as well you get this you get that oh oh, oh fact you know like oh are you in a wheelchair do you want me to take that wine off of you like no i <laughs> no, fucking give me more don't. wine yeah. exactly yeah um so yeah so i was sick of that um so i wanted to show that um you know disabled people aren't like either superhumans you know like paralympians who can fly um or you know like we're also not just like sat in a grayscale room like crying into our own faces because we're disabled you know it's just like people in the middle we're not victims or saints um we're people who and we do annoying things and we you know we're fully rounded so wanted and also the working class people like we're not um you know we're not all on the rob and but some of us are so don't be like oh all working class people are lovely it's like okay we're just human too but we're also not daniel blake like i'm happy obviously you've met my voice now for like three minutes so you can guess that i'm like happy that the film daniel blake exists but you know our lives aren't like all about claiming benefits you know and daniel blake i'll tell you what pissed me off about that film was that um it wasn't the film it was society is such that he had to make daniel blake like a saint so that people could empathize with him you know like he did not only did he not like do drugs and drink and all that stuff that makes life like temporarily easier yeah makes it easier to like open letters from the dss and all the stuff that you're terrified of um but um not only did he not do that but like his wife had just died and like he hadn't even started smoking you know like just have a (laughs) have a fag daniel jesus like i know they've gone expensive but um so yes that annoys me this whole thing of like the deserving poor and the undeserving poor that divide obviously pisses me off big time so i wanted to in the show defend the undeserving poor which you know is partly like my life as well i feel like saying like the undeserving poor makes sound like a right twat um but yeah like defend stuff like why you've got a big tally to me all that stuff feels like blind and the obvious like if you're not going out you know to you're not going out to restaurants you're not going there's loads of stuff that you can't do having like a big tally is a, a good investment isn't it um it's so, escapism exactly I mean, we all yeah. need to escape from our lives now and again so what's wrong with and a it's big status tally? as well isn't it it's like having you know like mobile that in the in the manchester lutons right in 2011 it was like the mobile phone shop and like the trainer shops and stuff like that curries that got looted because it's all stuff that gives you status when you've got none and you can't get any because society doesn't value you um but then like the posher shop selfridges didn't get looted it got set on fire (laughs) 
I'm not saying that we should all set the world on fire. You should see how gleeful she looks right now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I feel like that might have given the wrong impression. But, um, but it, you know, poetically, it's interesting, isn't it? Can we talk a little bit about the government and how they are royally fucking over disabled people? We yeah. had in Lisa Hammond and Sheila Chandra, who are both disabled creatives, a couple of weeks ago. And they were saying that the rhetoric that the government are using is making there be an increase in hate crime against disabled people. Yeah. It's to- yeah, it's like, I mean, obviously, disabled people have always been like othered. You know, people like to. I mean, like people say, so by the way, people can't see me, can they? So like where many of you have got a tube of meat, I've got a glorified stick. I've got one leg. Um, so <laughs> Tube of meat is how I always refer to my legs, or certainly from tubes now on. Tubes of meat. Tubes of meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds quite sexy. Oh, well, it is, me. isn't it? It's yeah. Like, yeah, there's three people have other tubes of meat. Um, <laughs> um, I'm definitely going to put that in some erotica one day. you got this tube of meat out. Stop it with your dirty talk. It remains firm throughout the experience. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, new book. Um, oh, yeah, so being like others. So people will say, oh, why have you got one leg about 12 times a day? And I go like, oh, systemic sclerosis. And it's like kind of a boring answer. It's like very obviously medical. Um, I'm not like that girl from Alton Towers who got like... So that's the only exciting answer so yeah so I tell them all that and then they go um, oh well that's not going to happen to me because I don't eat wheat and you're like what the fuck you want about like I didn't say anything about that but people want to other you so that um, you know it's not going to happen to them and then I mean there's about a million reasons why people want to other people but one of them is to go right we don't have to empathise as much with you um, so it gets rid of the problem because we've got too many problems in society. So it's like, and it's the same with working class people, isn't it? Oh, well, you're trying, your version of trying in life doesn't look like my version of trying in life. You're not doing what I think I'd do in that situation that I don't know much about. Um, So I'm not going to have empathy for you. And if you're not doing that, then I don't have to worry. You know, you can just cut off whole, all the disabled people, all the working class people. If we get rid of them, then, you know, it's like, oh, I've solved the problem. It's really easy to judge from a position of not knowing what the fuck you're talking about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was um, a T-shirt that drove Hannah and I mental. Hannah um, sent me the picture of it. And they're selling a T-shirt on the outnet that just has working class emblazoned on it as yeah, a slogan. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that yesterday. Any thoughts? Um, one, the, the design of it is shit, isn't it? You've noticed. <laughs> it's like, it's just um, like a sans serif. It's just working class. It's they should have like, used Comic Sans at least, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's what people, I think when people say working class, they say it in Comic Sans, don't they? It's like chav shaming. They've got to make us into some sort of like shit comedy act in order to, um, yeah. I, yeah, it's just, oh, for fuck's sake. It's like um, the way all the kids are drinking out of jars these days isn't it you know and like it's all like poverty appropriation isn't it everyone everyone wants to look poor but not actual poor just like this version this very sort of um artisan poor that's what's in fashion we're actually sat in jackie's front room and on the wall is painted some lyrics (laughs) from common people by pulp that absolutely that those lyrics common people just sums up how people kind of the the poverty tourism is what it's called isn't it yeah yeah 
Although I think Misshapes is something I thought was saying a little bit more, the song. Could you tell us a little bit about how the show works? Because it is very much poetry, performance, a bit of puppetry. Yeah, there's all sorts in it. So I do do a lot of different... Um, like, so I'm a writer... But um, I'm trying to say, like, oh, I'll do lots of things, but I'm not a jack of all trades. I'm like, I'm fucking good at each of them. <laughs> without, say without saying that, but, I'm, you know, I'll just instead quote what I was going to say that I didn't say. Because <laughs> um, that's straightforward. Oh. So meta! <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I just used the sort of, uh, like, the authentic, whatever felt authentic for each bit of the story. That's what we went with. So we've got lots of different things. So... What it looks like is basically you have um, people's voices coming in. And I think when other people's voices... And I mean, literally, like, you hear their actual voice. So you've recorded their voices? Yeah. Okay. Because I don't want to introduce people by going, um, okay, so this is... I'm making this up, but, you know, like, this is Terry. He's on ESA, PIP. You know, he's a person of colour, he's gender binary and he's got one arm. Because it's like, but if, I'm, if I do that, then I'm just reducing people to, like, their categories again. It's just the same as the stuff that pisses me off, like, the way there's a mil you know, amputees are all over um, adverts at the moment, like, we're mega, mega popular. But um, not amputees that look like me that are, you know, like wearing like lots of wool and a bit overweight and covered in tattoos. It's like, you know, daft tattoos. It's more, you know, it's got to be, you've got to be a fucking athlete, basically. So you hear the actual people's voices, as in, you know, the the voices are like piped into the room and you hear the person tell the story. Because I really like, um, like what I'm doing in this, where it's like all, um, and you know, a bit of a cough and the, the strange little things that people say in between what they're saying, you know, when you, you listen to what someone's saying rather than the actual words that they're using and also it just shows people as fully rounded humans rather than like you know oh now you know I'm going to tell a story about someone who uses a wheelchair it's um, you know you just get it all it's a bit like Creature Comforts the show in a, in a way I want to just really shine the light on the voice so I do like very basic object manipulation while the voice is happening um, to sort of bring to light as like a metaphor as opposed to jumping about like a clown and taking away from it. And then in between that, there's sort of like stand-up, sort of like poetry, basically me chatting, but scripted, so it's much it's much uh, better than this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel that your attitudes towards disability and society's attitudes towards disabilities have changed? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's like... How do you get people to feel empathy for something that isn't their thing? Absolutely. You know? So I had my leg off like four or five years ago, something like that. And then it's like, boom, suddenly, you know, it's like you're in a wheelchair and it's like very, you look like um, people's, um, you know, like sort of cliche of disabled. Um, and it took me ages to realise. I was just like, oh, I've just had my leg off. Like and then I was sat like sat in a wheelchair in an ambulance being taken to the place where they do your false legs and I was like, Oh fuck. I this is actually I am disabled and other people look at me and they see a disabled person. It's like fucking out it took me ages to, to really click. But do you know what? It's people fucking love the oh you've got one leg because they can see it and it's like that is definitely disabled. But they ignore like I've I've got like bipolar as well. I spent my twenties like in that uh, psychiatric court and people just go like oh right 
yeah, sort of brush that one to one side. Like the the whole like one legged thing people seem to latch onto. But yeah, but it was like, oh, suddenly I care about this thing because I've got it. So how do you make people care about something that they haven't got? Because you can't just whack someone around the head and say, look, you need to care, you know? And some people do, and that's lovely and like brilliant. Um, but it's the people who don't that you need to get on the side. So that's why I thought bump creature comforts <laughs> you know if you if it's like these are rather than going like statistics it's like if this is like real real people and you can hear them you know you can hear the, the little stutter in the voice or you can you know i guess what you're doing with this isn't it um but yeah i feel like that's a good way to try and get people to empathize so safety is that a big issue for you do you feel unsafe in society not right now i feel like i've accidentally threatened you (laughs) (laughs) fucking hell (laughs) um yeah so the name like this is not safe space which obviously is like a bit oh contentious wherever do i feel unsafe well there's um i think i mean a lot of what people were talking was like financial security and um um like having the homes taken off them and stuff like that and i feel sort of okay with that because i just won this big fuck off award last year and there was money it was the joe compton poetry fellowship like i think about a year in the future that's it i think that thinking in the future that's quite a working class thing isn't it you know people say make like a five-year plan fuck off like you can't think too far in the future if you like there's like a direct correlation between how shit your life is and how far into the future you can bear to think isn't it? I think so. That's a bit grim, but true. I think it is true. So many things can happen that could fuck up that five-year plan anyway. As in what happened to you? You weren't expecting to have to, your leg off. And yeah, it could happen exactly. to any of us in the blink I would of an recommend eye. Your life it. can change, really. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Best thing you've like... ever done. Kind of, yeah. Like, it made me grow up. I mean, I'm not, obviously, I'm not. Like, it made, it made me do a big chunk of growing up that I needed to do quickly. And it made me, um, like, not in, like, a cheesy, shitty way, but it made me, like, much more appreciative and grateful of things. Like, I can kind of, like, totally zone out now on, like, how amazing, like, any, and you know, windows are. Imagine if you didn't have windows. Like, it would be fucking shit. Um, and just sort of cheer myself up using nothing. Whereas before, I was, like, really, like, very depressive and stuff. So, yeah, so, and, and then also, um, the art world started taking more notice of me. It <laughs> raised my profile. So that's good. And you need that if you're a working class artist because everyone's too busy listening to your fucking accent and ignoring you. It's a pretty dramatic step, though. I mean, you like off. Yeah. I know, I know. I feel like if this is, like, maybe, like, but a politically kind of shitty thing to say, but in my life, in my experience, it was a pretty good thing to do. Where can people find out more about you, Jackie? Um, I'm on the internet, um, on Twitter, at Jackie Hagen. Um, you can Google me and I've got a website I totally recommend you Google her she is awesome and you can see we... this is not a safe space at Camden People's Theatre from the 17th to the 21st of April You play ball like a girl Go on, do one kid Jenny off the blocks
Welcome to Jenny Off The Blocks, that time of the week where we get all jolly hockey sticks for women's sport. And yes, I know that one did probably need some work, but these openers are getting increasingly tricky to come by. So if you've got a better idea, please do feel free to tweet me because frankly, I need all the help I can get. Anyway, this week, I'm going to run through the treats that we have in store in women's sport this spring because it is indeed now the spring. I'm going to caveat this first up. I just got back from New York yesterday. So, yeah, I know, humble brag, right? So this is being recorded in my flat with a towel over my head. So if it sounds odd... I do apologise. That's why. Another caveat. Occasionally, I get the odd comment on Twitter that these segments are too England-centric. So, just to let you know, I do try my best to give y'all a bit of coverage, but not all the home nations are represented in all the competitions and not all the competitions are as popular as others. But we do try. And obviously, if there's anything specific you want us to talk about, again, give me a shout on Twitter. Very happy to take suggestions. Moving swiftly onwards, of course, we will all, as in all the home nations, turn out for the Commonwealth Games, which start on, well, they start today, if you're listening, on Wednesday, and they last until the 15th of April. And that's a really good opportunity to see loads of different sports that you might not normally get to see on your telly box. So hockey and netball, and there will, of course, be more netball this summer, but we're going to catch up with that nearer the time. The British Para Swimming International Meet takes place in Sheffield on May the 31st and its aquatic friend, the Diving World Cup, follows in a less accessible Wuhan in China. I love saying Wuhan, mostly because of the Wu-Tang Clan, to be fair, but um, yeah, whatevs. That follows between June the 5th and 10th. Athletics is about to kick off. We've got the London Marathon coming up on April the 22nd. Fun fact for you, I have a teddy bear called Marathon because I used to go and watch the London Marathon in Charlton when I was little and I named her after the London Marathon because uh, in my eyes she could run the London Marathon anyway. That's April the 22nd and then the Diamond League will kick off all over the world on May the 4th. April the 15th, the WBBL Cadona Trophy Final takes place at the Cheshire Oaks Arena. That's basketball, by the way. And the playoff finals will also be taking place on May the 20th in London at the O2 Arena. And I beg of you, if you get the chance, please watch it if you can. It's an absolute fucking travesty what's happening to basketball in the UK. And if you're interested, which you should be, because it's an excellent, excellent sport, and I've been watching quite a bit of it over in the US, as ever, as consumers, we are the ones with the power to change this. So if you're interested, please do tune in wherever you can to watch it. I'm not actually sure where you can, but or if you can get tickets... I would recommend it. It's a very fun sport to watch. We're going to get crickety as fuck over spring with a number of one-day internationals taking place in April and June. And the ones in June are in Worcester, Hove and Canterbury. So you can go and watch those. And there'll be more in the summer. And again, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Just by the way, uh, I'm doing this as the months actually really are, or rather the seasons actually really are. So, you know, March to June, that's spring. What people always think June is the summer. It isn't, it's spring. Anyway, the UCI World Tour is already underway. That's cycling, by the way. And stages are taking place for April and May. It's an opportunity to get yourself along to watch a bit of BMXing as well, if that takes your fancy. With BMX Series rounds three and four in Leicester on the 21st and 22nd of April 
and rounds five and six in Gravesend on May the 26th and 27th. And of course, the Tour de Yorkshire takes place on May the 3rd to 4th. In football, there are all sorts of women's football-y things going on over April and May, with England up against Wales in a World Cup qualifier later this week, that's on Friday in fact, which you can see in Southampton, should you so wish. And that's the day after Scotland faces Switzerland away, and the same day as Netherlands v Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland facing Slovakia. And there are more qualifiers on April the 10th and later in June. Also, Chelsea and Man City remain in contention for the Champions League title and they'll be facing Wolfsburg and Olympique Lyonnais, Lyon, basically, respectively, in the first and second legs of the semi-finals over the 21st and 22nd and the 28th and 29th of April. Plus, we have the FA Cup semi-finals with Everton up against Arsenal and Chelsea against Man City, so that should be a very good one, on April the 15th, ahead of the FA Cup final on May the 5th at Wembley. Also, dates for your diary, the Women's Super League season ends on May the 20th, and again, it's looking really, really tight between Chelsea and Man City at the top of the table so interesting times and the Champions League final which hopefully we'll get a team in will be in Kiev on May the 24th in hockey London will host this summer's Vitality World Cup but ahead of that you can catch the Euro Hockey Club Cup Club Trophy and Club Challenge competitions in Surbiton Dublin and Edinburgh respectively between May the 17th and 21st you will have heard us chat to boat race victor Sophie Shapter from Cambridge University Women's Boat Club a few weeks back. And if you enjoyed that, the Rowing World Cup takes place in Belgrade at the beginning of June. And that kicks off the season proper. Elsewhere in the nautical world, there'll also be some sailing going on in the Volvo Ocean Race with legs 7 and 8. And leg 8 is Newport to Cardiff. And 9, and that one is Cardiff to Gothenburg on April the 22nd, May the 30th and June the 10th. There's always some sort of tennis going on and a lot of that is televised on the BBC, Sky Sports and Eurosport in the UK so it's worth keeping an eye out to see what's on especially since the return of Serena Williams. But there's always loads of interesting names to keep an eye on in the women's tour. Sloane Stevens, for example, who just beat Yelena Ostapenko in the Miami Open. Both of these youngsters having won Grand Slams in the last year. And, of course, Simona Halep, who's still waiting on that elusive first Grand Slam victory. It's got to come soon, I would have thought, but who knows when. Perhaps one of them will be lucky in this year's French Open, which takes place between May the 27th and June the 10th. And there are also a bunch of triathlon events taking place in the UK this spring, including the Paratriathlon World Cup at Eton Dorney between the 27th and 28th of May and the World Triathlon Mixed Relay Series in Nottingham on June the 6th and the World Triathlon Series in Leeds between June the 9th and 10th. Now, there are loads of other competitions as well in sports like badminton and what I've helpfully written here as horses. The catch-all term, horses, I think that means equestrian. Golf, gymnastics, judo, lacrosse, squash and taekwondo. Loads more stuff and you can find out about all of it, as I have indeed, uh, via the Mixed Zone website, 
which is run by the Women's Sports Trust. That's all for us this week. Please do join me again next week for more women's sports things. And do tweet me on at InspiraGen should you wish to, I don't know, have a chat about sport or, you know, what I did on holiday in New York. I sang I Just Can't Wait to Be King in karaoke. I don't know what I was thinking. More sports next week. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you do this week? This week I watched Home on the Range, a 2004 Disney film, no Pixar involvement here, that I'd never heard of before we started this dreadful odyssey. Me neither. According to Wikipedia, it had mixed reviews and bombed at the box office, which might go some way to explaining the largely blank faces that I see before me. Blank faces aren't great on the podcast, are no. they? No. Well, but... I mean, I, to be honest, I, I was expecting to be doing something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> mine is so blank it was almost audible. Yeah. That's how blank it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't even know if I've heard of this one, to be honest. Um, did you like it? What the actual <laughs> fuck? <laughs> this film is frantic in a way that I could only possibly demonstrate to you if I tell you every single thing that happens in it. Okay? Go! Okay. The film opens with some Wild West scenery and some good old-fashioned Wild West music, and I think, shit, I'm sold. You love a Western. And then, at second number 17, (laughs) up pops a rabbit out of a hole and starts all this boinging around, and I have never changed my mind about anything so quickly in my life. From, you know what, this might be okay, to... Dear God, what is this thing that's happening before me in 17 seconds? Can I get a rewind, as it were? Uh, What year did you say this was from? 2004. 2004. What the rabbit actually does (laughs) is some good old-fashioned Hanna-Barbera cartooning. (laughs) And it's that sort of frantic energy that drives this whole film, and it never stops. That sounds unpleasant. Like the Animaniacs. What? The anime, oh, it was the a anim- TV series, oh, and they were like the Looney Tunes characters that just were bonkers and on, and like as if they'd been on oh, speed. Fuck off, Jim Carrey. Yeah. So forget that that's happened at the start. Forget that. Eventually, after much sort of yeah. moving around, the camera settles. It stays still for long enough to focus on a heifer who's tied to the back of a covered wagon. We first see her from behind in a position that I believe they call presenting in nature. <laughs> With these huge, huge udders. And I wonder, are they trying to make us fancy the cow? But no time for that. Sexy Disney. No time for that. Maggie, who is voiced by Roseanne, then tells us, that's Roseanne Barr, by the way, then tells us her whole life story with flashbacks. She used to live on a ranch, but one night a notorious cattle rustler called Slim turned up and stole all the other cows on the ranch that she lived on. And now her owner has to sell her because he's destitute. And then she gets taken to a farm called A Patch of Heaven, where her old owner, Mr. Dixon, sells her to a new owner, Pearl, who runs A Patch of Heaven. It's got loads of other creatures on it who take varying degrees of like to the new resident. And I barely have time to wonder whether all that fascination with Maggie's physique is supposed to be sex jokes or supposed to be fat jokes. Because suddenly the sheriff turns up to tell Pearl, who weirdly looks a lot like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast, 
that her farm is going to be repossessed unless she sells all her livestock, but she won't because they're like family to her. And I actually at this point say out loud, please, God, let that farm be saved because my brain cannot cope with another change of locations. We're only five minutes in, for fuck's sake. (laughs) But no, what happens next is Maggie decides she's going to sneak off to the county fair to get the money to save the farm because competitions totally give all the cash prizes directly to the animals that win. I was going to say, Maggie's the cow, right? I've lost track. Yeah. Grace, a young, ditzy-type heifer, decides to go with her. But Mrs. Calloway, who's a sort of hyacinth bouquet cow, thinks it's all very common but ends up going anyway for reasons I couldn't ascertain because I think I sneezed and the plot just charged on past me. Mrs. Calloway has a hat on, by the way. It's not relevant, but I feel it would be remiss if I didn't mention it. Is she like Mrs. Nesbitt? (laughs) So off they go, the three forms of woman, the naive single girl, the prude and the bucks and pricktees, off to save the farm. (laughs) Meanwhile, we meet the sheriff's horse, who is played by Cuba Gooding Jr. Now, I've said in the past... Show me the milk! I've said in the past that Cuba Gooding Jr. is very much the go-to when the character is a walking erection, walking like he's got an erection. (laughs) And within the boundaries of a Disney cartoon, it's exactly the same here. Also, we learn that the deputy is a dog, which I think means it's an honorary title, like bestowed on the sheriff's dog, as opposed to he gave the best interview on the day. (laughs) Nepotism at work. Anywho... Our adventurous trio of cows arrive in town. There's a gunfight and spitting and dancing girls and people in striped shirts playing pianos. Do the cows shoot? In bars. No, not yet anyway. And then the cows (laughs) discover that the sheriff is offering a really meaty reward for the capture of Slim, who, you may remember, is the guy that stole all the cattle from Maggie's original ranch. You're welcome. I'd absolutely forgotten who that was. But suddenly, a storm whips up, and here comes Rico, a famous bounty hunter, like Dog, but slightly less cartoonish. So he says he's going to go and find Slim, and the sheriff's horse volunteers to go with him because he thinks he's heroic. And at this point, I'm thinking, please, God, let this be actually what the film is about because we're 20 minutes in, and my hand really hurts from writing stuff down. I can't keep up with the pace. At one point, I thought, dear God, is that Judy Dench's voice? And I had to pause it because there was no time for Googling. This film is more action-packed than the Trump presidency. Literally not a single second where there isn't something of note happening. Was it Judy Dench's voice? It was Judy Dench's oh, voice. Jude. Anyway, the cow set off down the road. Maggie suddenly gets PTSD and flashbacks. But she comes up with a plan that they should hide in a herd of cows and wait to get rustled. Is that a word? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. So they do exactly that. They find a group of of hundreds of steers and wait for the moment for Slim to turn up and steal them. That sounds kind of peaceful. Uh, You think so? (laughs) Because for a moment, the terrifying spectre of gang rape looms large. But lo and behold, along comes Slim, who hypnotises all the cows by yodelling. (laughs) Except Grace, who is tone deaf, which doesn't work as as an explanation at all, but there you have it. This bit goes on for so long, I actually consider time might be slowing down. (laughs) Or that I might have had my drink spiked. So the three... By yourself at home. (laughs) Yeah. Peggy, come on. The three ami cows escape. (laughs) And they're in a covered wagon for a bit with pots and pans on their head going, whoa! And then the the horse does some karate. Um, (laughs) He's called Buck, by the way. Then we're back with Slim, who by the supremely cunning disguise of putting a suit on, is buying up all the land at auctions, including a patch of heaven. 
because he is some kind of mega bastard tycoon. What a prick. Yeah, mm. which to be fair is actually probably the most historically accurate a Disney film has ever been. <laughs> he explains all of this plot in great detail to his idiot sidekicks who are twins or possibly triplets. Two or three of them. Yeah, it sounds like basic the, maths, to be honest. The giveaway. Back at a patch of heaven, all the animals are up for the sa- are, are up for sale, leading the pig to make the sort of speech that sounds uncannily like one you'd hear before someone gave you a glass of Kool-Aid. Meanwhile, the horse goes back to sheriff for, the sheriff for reasons I was unclear on, and we have hit the midway point of this film. We are only halfway through this fucker. Can I just ask, did you take the acid before the film started or halfway through? This is my point. (laughs) I started to think I don't remember taking it at all. And yet here we are. The heroines struggle on. There's a flash flood. Maggie, possibly because she's fat, gets into trouble. They all get washed away and then they're saved. And then Maggie and Mrs. Calloway have a Barney about their motivations. You know, is it revenge on Slim or what is it? Sounds a bit like First Wives Club. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then Mrs. Calloway, Julie Dench and Grace decide to go back to the farm because they want to say goodbye to it. Meanwhile, back at the farm, Mrs. Farm is looking at photographs of animals and listening to Bonnie Wraith, as you do. And then where's Buck, the horse, I hear you ask? He's just running around, just running around looking for Slim because otherwise there might not be something happening in this film every motherfucking second <laughs> that it is on the screen. <laughs> then a rabbit called Lucky Jack turns up. Um... He appears to be on speed. He tells Maggie about a mine that they're apparently holding all the other cows in. And and Grace and Mrs. Calloway decide that they're going to go with Maggie to the mine, which has a buffalo as a bouncer, because literally anything could happen in this film right now. And people would say, who cares? When is this ceaseless activity going to end? The cows capture Slim, unlikely though that might sound. And then they manage to avoid the hypnotising by blocking their ears up with fluff ripped from the rabbit's ass. Unlikely though that sounds. Then Steve Buscemi turns up. Unlikely though that sounds. Then it gets really chaotic and there's a bison and the triplets and the horse starts crying. And all the dynamite in the mine explodes and they crash into a train and someone gets knocked out and a horseshoe goes round their neck. And then Rico turns up. Right, Rico, do you remember? He? He was the, he's the bounty he's, hunter. He's the bounty right, hunter. Yeah. Played well by Cuba Gooding Jr. No, the that's horse? the horse. Oh, but you, you're halfway right. It's about right. <laughs> And then it turns out, right, he's been working for Slim all along. Oh, no. The bastard. They'll go off and leave the cows tied up, but the horse frees them. And I think, holy shit. Holy shit, they're going to make the the cows drive a train. And then that happens. And then they crash it. If anybody is wondering what the efficacy of a cow driving a train is. Well, that's why they're not usually allowed to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Unsurprisingly... But they get to the farm, just as Slim is trying to buy it, and then after what I can only describe as a gratuitous udder shot, who would ever have thought that I'd say that? The farmyard animals beat Slim up, and he gets stuck in the funnel of a train, because that's exactly the sort of film this is, and then everybody lives happily after, and goes to county fairs and wins prizes, and the buffalo says, Joker's wild, yeah? And I think, is that a sex joke? The end. And when they win the money at the farm, where do they put the money? Because you don't have pockets if you're a cow. Well, that was kind of my point. Yeah, I've got nothing else to <laughs> It was absolutely <laughs> exhausting. It was completely... I'm, I'm a bit tired now, yeah. to be honest. I showed Mickey my, my bag of notes, and it was almost a bag of notes <laughs> bag that of I had notes. taken from watching this film. Are we, are we going to give it a score? What score are we I giving it? I don't really... I really I don't know what, what 
to give it. I don't, I don't, because I don't really know what it was. I, I've, I've no real comprehension of what I actually watch. It sounds like you were in Nam, and then you've been having bad dreams. <laughs> it, it's, it's so like they've obviously thrown everything at the wall to see what sticks, but only the shit has stuck. But they went, ah, oh, let's just release it anyway. Hang um, on, I've got an idea. Why don't Jen and I do a quick recap of what we've learned about Home on the Range? That's what it's called. Am I right so far? It is called Home on the Range. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. has possibly murdered his wife. <laughs> and John Travolta's there. Um, and there's a man stuck in a train funnel and some cows in a mine. Jeez. And a Virginia Woolf um, sort of reference that doesn't quite work. And free, like sort of sex in the city represented by cows and there's two triplets <laughs> yeah is that right that's pretty much right i'm awesome. gonna give it i'm gonna give it one okay <laughs> one what one lie down in a darkened room out of five <laughs> hi hannah here i'm under the recording blanket which is like catnip to my pets so i'm gonna try and get through this quick before one of those furry bastards turns up Thanks very much for listening to this week's podcast. If you liked that chat with Maya, there will be more of that, more conversation about bugs. <laughs> or maybe, yay, possibly I feel a bit more yay than I did before I spoke to her. But you'll know that if you've already listened. But if you want to hear more, then that will be our Sunday chops on this coming Sunday. We've got loads of great stuff coming up next week as well. If you enjoy us, if you like us, please tell someone. Tell a friend, tell an aunt, tell a sister. Tell someone you work with, tell your next door neighbour, tell Twitter and also tell us on iTunes where you can rate and review us. And no pressure, but if you gave us five stars, that would be well nice. If you haven't listened to this month's Gigcast yet, that was our great show that had Jennifer Saunders, yes indeed Jennifer Saunders, Desiree Burge and Joe Caulfield and that is available. And if you want to come and see us doing that but actually in the flesh rather than just listening to it on a bus maybe um which is good obviously but maybe not as exciting for you although to be honest um yeah i'm slightly disappointing in the flesh but nonetheless you can come to our show in april where we have ruby wax rachel paris shazia mirza and lucy mangan which is a great lineup and we've got loads of other shows to be announced across the country soon so keep your eye on our twitter I think that's probably all there is for me to say. Well, I, you know, I could say more because I'm like that. But, yeah, it's quite hard under this blanket. So all I need to say is uh, stay frosty. Standard issue for all women.